The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show, another brand new episode. Thank you for joining us every single week. Hopefully you make it a habit. If you do ever miss an episode, nearly six full seasons in the book, you can always see them and hear them via podcast at our new and improved website, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Straight ahead, we've got a lot from this past week and the signing of the Camp Hale National Monument Bill and protecting that land here in Colorado. President Biden in the state this week. We'll hear from him. We also talk about vaccinations, the military, and common sense. They don't really all go together. And then we wrap up. We'll make, a, of course, a special opportunity for you to celebrate with us the birthday this past week of the United States Navy. So to all of you men and women who have served in not only our armed forces, but in the Navy Thank you so much. We could not do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, attorney John Boson, a true patriot, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. 303-999-9999 or bosonlaw.com. That's B-O-E-S-E-N, bosonlaw.com. We begin with this from our friends over at CBS4 in Denver. President Joe Biden was at Camp Hale today to designate it as a national monument, his first such designation since taking office. The land that is now called Camp Hale Continental Divide is outside Leadville. It was a high-altitude Army training camp where the famed 10th Mountain Division trained in grueling conditions for winter fighting in World War II. For years, conservation groups, politicians, and veterans who trained at Camp Hale have pushed hard for the designation to protect this land, along with hundreds of thousands of acres across the state, through the CORE Act. That act had failed repeatedly in Congress, but the president has the power to designate on his own, and he did that this afternoon. CBS 4's Karen Morfitt continuing our coverage. Karen, the president used a law that presidents have been using for decades, but it does mean the designation might not be permanent. And Jim, that really came into question only in the last few years when President Trump used it in Utah to cut the size of a previously designated monument by the previous administration. Conservation groups, though, and President Biden today saying that they believe this monument is here to stay. In the cold Colorado mountains, President Joe Biden put pen to paper, making Camp Hale just outside of Leadville a national monument. One of the great 
treasures we have are our national forests, our national parks. The move was made under the Antiquities Act, used by presidents from both parties to protect land across the country. It's a permanent, permanent decision, an action that no future president can overturn. But we have seen that it can be changed. In 2017, under the same act, President Trump cut the size of Bear Ears Monument in Utah, prompting a legal battle. While it was undone when Biden took office, questions remain. Chris Winter with Access Fund, a national climbing advocacy group, is part of the case in Utah. The prior administration on Bears Ears and Grand Staircase pushed the boundaries beyond what we think is lawful and so created a question. But we are still firmly in the position of believing that the Antiquities Act is permanent. Access Fund is also among the groups who have fought for years to see Camp Hale protected as well. It's where the 10th Mountain Division trained for mountain warfare, including skiing and rock climbing. Veterans who would go on to help launch Colorado's recreational future. So this is just um, such an important part of our uh, identity as, as people who live in Colorado, but also our outdoor recreation economy. Says the title, Establishment of Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument by the President of the United States of America Proclamation. Just this past week, in the Colorado high country, President Biden, Senators Hickenlooper and Bennett, along with Congressman Joe Neguse, congratulations to all of you family members with relatives and to just possibly some, some of you Camp Hale veterans, just an incredible honor. And uh, now the real work begins as to how to preserve this history here, not only for our military and from World War II, but for the state of Colorado as well. This from a PBS documentary just a few years ago. The 10th Mountain Division chose four routes that the Germans never thought were humanly possible. One of the routes had to scale a 2,000-foot cliff band, and they did it in the dark of night. The soldiers climbed that with their full packs and with their rifles and surprised the Germans at dawn. And from there, they were able to go up Mount Belvedere and punch that first hole in that German Gothic line. The 10th Mountain soldiers, having trained here in Colorado, training at 10,000 feet, were in superb physical shape and could actually advance up and over the hills faster than the Germans could retreat to their next prepared defensive position. The 10th Mountain Division were so skilled, rumor has it, the German soldiers were so impressed they would only surrender to a 10th Mountain Division soldier. The war ended less than four months after the assault on Riva Ridge. Though instrumental in winning the war, the 10th's effort was not without sacrifice as they suffered the highest percentage of loss of any division. Of the men who did make it home, Many of them found solace in a familiar setting. One of the things that brought the 10th Mountain Soldiers back to the area was the love of the mountains. If they weren't on a forced rucksack march, they found that living in the mountains was quiet, peaceful, 
restful, and they could set aside some of the horrors that they had experienced in World War II and found ways to share that. They gave all of their skis and boots and poles to army surplus stores so that you could buy a set of skis, boots and poles for under $5. And that was really the future of skiing. If you look at the growth of ski areas in the 1950s, 60s and 70s, many of those managers and those founders of those ski areas came from the ranks of the 10th Mountain Division. Vail was founded by 10th Mountain soldiers. Fetal Pfeiffer turned to Aspen into the skiing mecca that Aspen is today. Some estimates place it as high as two-thirds of those areas were either started by or managed by 10th Mountain soldiers. When the men of the 10th were training at Camp Hale, they spent hours and hours talking about skiing and thinking about skiing. They really are the reason why the outdoor industry and the ski industry is what it is today. They created organizations like the National Outdoor Leadership School, Knowles. David Brower went on to be the executive director of the Sierra Club for 20 years. The Nike co-founder, Bill Browerman, created the Waffle Soul. Colorado tourism depends on this ski industry and the outdoor industry to survive. We need to protect Camp Hale because this is where our story began. Beyond a few deteriorating relics, the remnants of Camp Hale are largely gone. The story of the 10th and the history of our outdoor industry can be difficult to unearth if you don't know exactly where to look. When the 10th Mountain Division soldiers left Camp Hale in the summer of 1944, the Army decided that Camp Hale was too expensive to maintain. Instead of an asset, it became a liability when we weren't training mountain soldiers. That from a recent PBS documentary. We'll wrap up the show with another great segment on Camp Hale from said PBS documentary straight ahead. As we take our first break in our next segment, a little contentious with the Pentagon spokesman and, well, one Fox News host when it comes to vaccinations, a heroic rescue recently because of a hurricane and vaccinations or lack thereof that are going to make it possible for our military members, certain members, to be fired. We'll have that straight ahead. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue this week's edition of the American Veteran Show with a nod to Camp Hale and what happened earlier this week with a visit and a signature from President Biden. We'll wrap up the program with much more on this historic week straight ahead. But military vaccinations and possibly no longer continuing your military career. It was all part of a recent interview just this past week on Fox News. All right, let's bring in uh, the White House National Security Council coordinator. We're always happy to see him. John Kirby. Uh, we have so much to talk about from uh, the gains Ukraine is making in against Russia uh, to that situation with Fiona, as well as what's going on with North Korea. First off, what we woke up to, uh, what we heard about last night and woke up to today, North Korea sending ballistic missiles, um, uh, yeah. intercontinental missiles over Japan. First time in five years they're doing this. Did you guys have advance notice on it? What's the message you get from it? We certainly monitor uh, their testing capabilities as best we can, uh, Brian. I, I won't go into more detail here uh, on national TV, but we're watching this obviously very, very closely. Uh, certainly, uh, we have, we tracked uh, this particular uh, missile. Uh, we're still doing some analysis on it so we can better understand exactly what capability 
they put in the air uh, yesterday. But we've been in close contact with our uh, allies and partners, particularly the South Koreans and the Japanese, as you might imagine. Uh, and obviously, we condemn this launch, and and it's a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. We're going to continue to uh, to make sure that we have in place in the Indo-Pacific the kinds of capabilities that we need to defend ourselves and our allies. Yeah, um, John. Is this a different kind of missile? Because I, I was reading one of the reports today from overseas, and it said this particular intercontinental continental ballistic missile went further than any missile they'd ever done before. Is it the same thing they've shot off before? They just start getting better at it or what? You're, you're right. This one went a longer distance than we've seen uh, in, in recent weeks and months. Uh, we're still doing the analysis right now uh, to make sure that we completely understand what capability is that, the, that they fired here. Uh, before we, you know, make any pronouncements about it. Uh, but we, this is a program, and I think it's important to remember, uh, every time they do one of these launches, some are successful, some are not, some are uh, only partially successful. But each time they do this, they learn, they get better, yeah. uh, they get more capable. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, makes, makes us uh, want to stay vigilant, make sure that we've got the capabilities ourselves in the region uh, to, as I said, to defend our national interests and those of our allies. All right. So uh, Russia's occupied. They occupied four regions in Ukraine last week. And uh, Ukraine is building momentum now. They have taken back two of those those uh, occupied areas back from Russia. What does this mean going forward? Yeah, if I could, Angelie, just just a, a, a small correction there. They didn't occupy these four four regions. They illegally tried to annex them. They conducted these fake votes, these sham referenda, as we call it. Uh, to try to gain some sort of fig leaf of political legitimacy over these four regions, uh, Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson, uh, those, those last two down in the south. Uh, these are areas that have been in active fighting uh, in the last few months, particularly there in the northeast in the Donetsk region. You saw just over the last couple of days, over the weekend, the Ukrainians took back a town called Liman, which is a rail hub that the Russians were using to supply and replenish their forces, particularly in that Donbass region. Uh, so what uh, Mr. Putin's trying to do is he's trying to gain some sort of political foothold where he knows he can't hold a military uh, presence for very long. The Ukrainians have been on the offense, not just there in the northeast, but certainly in the south. They're making some incremental gains down in the south near Kherson. And what, we, what you're going to see from us, and I think you're going to, you know, even in just the even in just coming days, you're going to see us continue to provide security assistance to the Ukrainians, the kinds of weapons and capabilities that they have been using to win back their territory in those four areas. Uh, and, and we expect that they'll continue to do so going forward. The story in The New York Times today that they looked at the so-called tactical nukes and how they might be implemented on the battlefield, and there is no way. Uh, they said there's about 200 small nuclear arms that Russia has, and the, all their options are risky. And it's going to blow any type of radiation. It's going to go blow, more than likely blow back in their own country. And the most they could do is make certain sections of Ukraine uninhabitable. So is this all bluster? Didn't you guys war game this out when you thought about using tactical weapons or thought about how did we do this? And isn't it impossible to really use them effectively? Brian, we are taking the, the, the threats that Mr. Putin is putting out there and has been, quite frankly, for the last seven months with respect to weapons of mass destruction and, and nuclear weapons. We take those very seriously. We have to. Uh, it's irresponsible rhetoric coming from a leader of a modern nuclear power. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we, we don't have to look at it and make sure that we're ready. Uh, and we are. And you would expect that the, the Defense Department in particular would be trying to make sure that we're ready for all contingencies. But, Admiral, am I right, what I can tell you is, what, what, what I can tell you is uh, that uh, as, as closely as we're watching this, 
Uh, we haven't seen any indication that Mr. Putin has decided to move in that direction. Uh, and we haven't seen anything that would make us change our own strategic deterrent posture. But again, this is something we're watching every single day. Is it true that the, I was reading an article that said Ukrainian forces in the south destroyed 31 Russian tanks and one multiple rocket launcher? They couldn't confirm that. Is that confirmed now? I'm not able to confirm those specific battlefield reports, Angeli, but uh, but as I said, they have been making incremental progress mm -hmm. down in the south uh, towards uh, Kherson and the Kherson uh, Oblast. Uh, the, the fighting has been uh, more back and forth down in the south than we've seen up in the north. Uh, the Russians actually moved thousands of troops out of uh, the northeast so that they could shore up their defensive lines in the south, which I think explains for one of the reasons why it's been a little harder going for the Ukrainians down there. But they have made progress, and they certainly have across the battlefield, Ainsley, uh, uh, captured uh, uh, Russian equipment, Russian weapons, r Russian tanks. We certainly saw that happen uh, up in the northeast. Uh, while I can't confirm the reports in the south, certainly wouldn't be surprising if they turned out to be true. Admiral, uh, the other major story uh, is the amount of uh, men and women in our military that have been forced out because they won't get vaccinated for a pandemic that the president said is over. In case you don't have a monitor there, let me just read you some of these numbers. Uh, almost 9,000 Marines, four, almost 4,000 Air Force members, 2,632 Coast Guard, who the president just heralded for their incredible work in Florida, 19,460 total active service men and women. You as an admiral who knows what it takes and the sacrifice you make to join the military to get kicked out like this. Can you possibly talk some sense into this White House to reverse policy? Well, I'll tell you, Brian, I mean, and we, you know, you and I have talked about this quite some time over the last year or so. Uh, the vaccinations are a, a valid military requirement. You want your troops to be ready. And part of being ready is being healthy and not being able not having the ability to infect your unit and to make their unit readiness uh, any worse than it is. Look, but, I'm talking to you from home here because I'm wrapping up my own uh, bout with COVID here but, over the last 10 Admiral days. Exactly. I'm not going to Admiral, people. exactly. I don't want to get but listen, uh, just to blend in the military and the science, we all know that this vaccine does not address any of the variants we're currently experiencing. So therefore, there's minimal positive to getting it now, which is why you guys don't even talk about it to invest in our people and train them and then dismiss them for experimental vaccine is folly when you can't recruit. Every one of your branches can't recruit their threshold, yet you're kicking out good men and women. How do you explain that? Well, look, Brian, first of all, the Navy did make their uh, recruiting goals for enlisted personnel this year. Yes, it's a tough recruiting environment. We recognize that. Uh, but it's also you have a requirement to be healthy, to be able to serve. And this is a valid military requirement. It's a, you really it's a think so? Order vaccine. And and look, even even if it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID, I'm double boosted. I got it myself here. Just that's your decision. So. It, may, it makes the symptoms a lot less right. severe. It gets you back on, on duty. So it's uh, worth kicking out good. health, the healthiest people in our country who are already sacrificing. You're, it's worth kicking them out. Brian, Brian, we would rather not lose anybody, of course, uh, to the vaccine. We'd rather not lose anybody uh, from a retention perspective to have them leave the service earlier than they wanted or we wanted them to. Right. But it's a valid military requirement. No, it, no, it isn't. This is an experimental yeah. vaccine that just came right. off the shelf. Right. You know it's not valid, right. and the, it's risk our national security. Right. Admiral, you are a military no. officer. You could talk sense into right. this White House. I, I was a military officer. That's why I'm telling you that, that vaccines are common for you. You can't even join the military without taking about a dozen or so vaccines to make sure that you're healthy so that you can you can contribute to the unit's success and readiness. We don't want to lose anybody to the vaccine. You're losing 20,000. Whether 20, they get the vaccine or not, we don't. 
But but Brian, you, you got to have a healthy force. This is a valid health requirement. Health is is central to yes. our readiness for, as a military it's unit. Just, and you're not just it's right, not just Admiral, about you. We, we're gonna have to go. But it's just hard because we we talked about this amazing hero who's in the Coast Guard and he rescued someone who could potentially drown um, down there in the Fort Myers area, yeah. and now he's Back getting home. kicked out. That from Fox News. The American Veteran Show continues in our next segment. More on Camp Hale. You'll hear from the president. And then more as we wrap up the program as to uh, a look at its history. We'll also get into absolutely a commemoration of the United States Navy's birthday celebrated just this past week. Appreciate your time as always. This is the American Veteran Show. AmericanVeteranShow.com. back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. Sure appreciate your time as we continue the American Veteran Show. Overall dedicated to Camp Hale, members of the incredible 10th Mountain Division and the president was in town or at least in the state in the high country to commemorate all of the politicians were there and here's how it began. Please welcome President Joe Biden. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This one working? Hello, hello, hello. Not working, is it? It is. Can you hear me? All right. Well, by the way, I uh, I wanted to come out here because I love being in Colorado. I love being in the West. I love even being in Alaska. One of the things I was saying earlier to some of the folks that we came over with is that uh, one of the great treasures we have our national forests, our national parks. And uh, from the time my kids were old enough to uh, travel with me, I've taken them to most, almost every national park in the country, down the Colorado, down the Snake River, or just everywhere, because I wanted them to see. I wanted them to see what so many people don't get to see. But, folks, I want to thank Scott for the introduction and mostly for his service. You're right. This is the story of America the Beautiful. The way you talk about being a forest ranger is uh, just uh, you just can feel the power in this place when you talk about it. And as you just heard, uh, you have the same way of these incredible leaders around you thanking you. Governor Polis, he, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, uh, I tell you what, uh, I didn't know that uh, former governor had worked for you. Um, but uh, Joe from the House and John and Michael, all of you have been determined over the years to protect this sacred and historic lands. And Michael came over here. Uh, uh, I'm on, I want Michael to come back up here a second. Come on, Michael. And the reason why I do, I want you to tell you what happened here. Uh, this guy, he made this finally happen, at least me signing this, certainly. And I, uh, he came to the White House, and uh, he said, uh, I, I told you what I need. <laughs> and I said, I'll do it. You know why? I was worried he'd never leave the damn White House if he didn't go. From our high country at Camp Hale, now Senate candidate Joe O'Day running against Senator Bennett, he was on Fox and was not 
all that impressed. I can tell you this photo op that uh, Joe Biden has taken with Michael Bennett this uh, this very day here in Colorado is nothing more than a photo op. It shows you that Bennett votes with him 98 percent of the time. He's part of the partisan problem that we have in Washington, D.C. I'm not a career politician. I'm a working guy. I'm going to the U.S. Senate to represent working Americans here in Colorado. We've been left behind. We've been forgotten. Joe O'Day on Fox. We'll switch gears in the remaining portion of this segment. Next segment, as we wrap up, we'll have just a little bit more from the Camp Hale News and the 10th Mountain Division News this week. Also on Fox, thank you for your contributions to the program this week. I told him how proud of him I was and thanked him for all the work he and his Coasties are doing to save lives. I'm grateful for the brave women and men, federal, state, and local folks working so hard. They're all working as one team. Hear that from the governor as well as from the federal folks. President Biden personally calling first responders, including members of the Coast Guard, who risked their lives to rescue others from the devastation of Hurricane Ian. Ironically, one of those heroes, technician second class Zach Lash, says he will lose his job by the end of the year thanks to the president's own vaccine mandate. Florida Congressman Michael Waltz is a former Green Beret commander and member of the House Armed Services Committee, and he joins us now. Congressman, if you can believe it, the man that the president called to thank for his heroic actions is going to be fired at the end of the year because of the president's own policies. What do you make of this? Yeah, he's one of uh, 2,600 Nash, uh, excuse me, Coasties that uh, that are in this position. And I can tell you what the disabled woman in a wheelchair that he strapped to himself uh, and extracted, uh, it saved her life. She didn't care that he hadn't received a vaccine. We have over a thousand National Guards, men and women in the Florida National Guard that are also in the same position on the verge of getting kicked out of the guard uh, with with no pay and benefits, losing their retirement. They're out there on the front lines right now. And, and the people that they're giving water, food, uh, protecting from looting and crime, they don't care. Uh, the Floridians that are out there, they're saving. They don't care. But yet the Pentagon is sticking to this stubborn, asinine policy that is not following the data and the science. Look, the CDC has changed the guidelines. It is clear the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. Uh, you know, one could argue it made sense when we thought that it did, but it no longer does. This is an extremely healthy population. So the argument that it's going to affect readiness just doesn't hold water. Look, and at the end of the day, on top of it all, guys, we have a major recruiting crisis. We are falling short, particularly in the Army, by thousands and thousands of men and women that they can't bring in to replace these people. They're on the verge of kicking out. They have got to stop this mandate. It doesn't make any sense, and it's hurting people. The point that you made is the exact same one yeah, that did. Mr. Lash made. Quote, if I had asked any of the people I saved yesterday, if they wanted to come with me, even though I am unvaccinated, every single one of them would have said yes. He thanked me, yet the vaccine mandate is what's kicking me out. I just love my job, and I'm really good at it. I feel like this is the job that I was born to do. Do you think any of this public pressure will force any of these Washington bureaucrats to say, you know, we need to change this up now? Or at this point, is this all about saving face? Yeah, there's just this stubborn ideology uh, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Look, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm a colonel uh, in, in the military and as a Green Beret and a National Guardsman, I get it. You 
You give a platoon an order to take the hill, they have to follow that order for good military and discipline. But as a leader, and this is what I'm asking of the Pentagon leadership, you also have to reevaluate your orders. You have to change your orders when the situation changes. And it, you know, if you have someone getting into a submarine or getting into a tank that you thought were going to infect others, that's one thing. But since the vaccine now doesn't stop the spread, it's a personal health decision. The CDC agrees, let's reevaluate this order. But I can tell you what, uh, if we flip the House, I hope to be the chairman of the Military Readiness Committee. And if the Pentagon won't change, we're going to legislate it and force them to change. We have to take care of these people who have been out on the front lines all during the pandemic, many of whom, by the way, have natural immunity because they already got the virus. And the Pentagon's not taking that into account either. Uh, it, it, it just makes no sense uh, to hurt these folks. And we're talking big numbers, guys. You know, 15,000 just in the Army alone, on top of the 15,000 that they fell short. That's, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, that's three divisions worth of soldiers. And oh, by the way, we have the Russians threatening nuclear war and we have a massive major Chinese buildup. Uh, Common sense has got to reign here. Yeah, there's also this uh, latest YouGov CBS News poll. It shows that 68 percent of people believe that rights and freedoms are at stake in the midterm elections. And a lot of people view that as how people uh, see the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But that could also mean how people view pandemic policies and lockdowns and everything that happened in 2020. Uh, 15 seconds to you, unfortunately, but do you still think think that those things are on top of mind for the American people? Well, I think first and foremost, the economy's, uh, it, the economy, crime, border, inflation are top of mind uh, for, for this midterm. But this freedom issue, you're, you're right, it goes both ways. And at the end of the day, when it comes to the military, the commander in chief himself, Joe Biden, right. said the pandemic's over. Certainly controversial over the last couple of weeks, if not couple of years, because of vaccinations, the military, and continuing your military career. More on the 10th Mountain Division and Camp Hale as we wrap up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. We wrap up a salute to you Navy members, men and women. The United States Navy celebrated its 247th birthday just a few days ago. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your commitment to our country on the high seas and ports and everywhere. We have great members of the United States Navy. We have talked so much about the 10th Mountain Division and the Camp Hale signing this week. I want to wrap up the program with a terrific look at just a little bit of uh, Camp Hale's history. This from just a few years ago, part of a documentary on PBS. Environmental impact has been a concern in the Camp Hale Valley. It was a city and there were 15,000 people that lived there. We need to clean it up. After Camp Hale was decommissioned, they did remove a lot of the above-ground infrastructure, a lot of the buildings, but a lot of the other changes remain. All the fill obviously remained. The sewers and the pipes still remain. You're having different plants come in, a lot of invasive species, and that really affects the wildlife habitat here. In 2013, the National Forest Foundation took on an effort at Camp Hale through what was called our Treasured Landscapes Unforgettable Experiences campaign. 
the problem with the river ecosystem here right now is that it's channelized and it's disconnected from the floodplain. What we want to do is take it out of that channel. So to do that, we start removing fill and create what's called an inset floodplain, where the river has the freedom to move about, create turns, create wetlands in between those turns and riparian areas and reconnect to its floodplain. Whenever you're thinking about restoring a landscape, it's important that you bring in multiple voices. So in 2013, we gathered around 40 different stakeholders with diverse interests to figure out how folks could share a vision for the future of Camp Hale. It took a lot of work, and sometimes those interests are diverging. And it took about a year and a half to come up with what is our master plan for this area. The master plan really has three primary goals. Restore the natural ecology, fix up the stream, put in some wetlands, and enhance the overall vegetation. The second goal is to enhance the recreation opportunities. And then the third component is to really enhance the historic interpretation at this site. This is an incredibly complicated project, not just because of the competing interests, but because of what's here. We have to get the Army Corps of Engineers in to clear the area of unexploded ordinances to make sure that we're not gonna hit a bomb when we start digging. There's asbestos contamination. There is remnants of chemical weapons. The river restoration involves removing millions of tons of fill. Once we remove that fill, we do have to find some place to put it. Restoring the natural flow of the Eagle River would improve downstream water use as well as wildlife habitat. But it would also jeopardize the camp's hard-earned historic designation by threatening some of its few remaining relics. The challenge is finding a compromise between saving the history and saving the land. The importance of this area is the landscape, the place. There are aspects of it that folks really value, the Strait and Eagle River. That was an important divider for the folks who trained here. And there are parts of that that we'd like to restore. But we think that if we can do a good job telling the story, we can make it better than it is now. On the detriment side, putting the meander back in the valley could make it very difficult for someone to see what the footprint was of a World War II Army camp. This is the only camp that I know of where you can see the hospital area, the warehouse area, the barracks, the mule barns, the rifle ranges. Camp Hale as that historic site is the last of its kind. I fear the loss of that footprint to future generations. All of the standing relics of Camp Hale would remain. We hired another organization to come in to develop a historic interpretation plan. That plan tells the story of the soldiers that trained here and what they did when they returned. The State Historic Preservation Office does have concerns that the master plan could impact Camp Hale's place on the National Historic Registry. We may have to change the plans a little bit to accommodate that, but those are ongoing discussions. The veterans have indicated that they will support whatever the people of Colorado wish to do. As a historian, I would love to see historical preservation take preference, but that's not reality. And both parties have to find ways to generate a future for this valley that are both economically viable and socially important and relevant. We've got to work together. A compromise between historic preservation and ecological conservation, as well as the resources needed, may exist in a creative bill drafted by U.S. Senator Michael Bennett. Veterans 
of the 10th Mountain Division, having done the work at the state level to get it recognized here, came to see me and said, we think this is worthy of protection. It didn't take a lot of imagination to see that that was absolutely true. The Core Act is meant to embrace the idea that we don't have to trade off between preserving these iconic places and Colorado's economy. Camp Hale is the heart of the Core Act. It brings those two things together, as well as calling on the Forest Service and funding the Forest Service to be able to tell the historical story of what happened here. This would become the nation's first national historic landscape. I cannot think of a more appropriate designation for something like Camp Hale because we're going to have the chance to protect places that are historically really important and are also iconic landscapes. In many ways, I think you could say the spirit of Colorado is embodied by Camp Hale. The reason why people love Colorado is because of the incredible landscapes that we have. We also have an extraordinary history. Time will tell what the future holds for Camp Hale. But this hallowed ground remains an important site for a group of veterans who have discovered a profound connection to the men who trained here. I was in the military from 2005 to 2011. I did two deployments, one to Iraq and one to Afghanistan. When I got out of the military, I started taking wounded vets out on climbing and hiking trips. I saw all the things that, you know, they were experiencing after their transition. We did the ceremony one night. We had them write the names of their friends that had died overseas on a flag so they could summit this mountain with that flag. And so I started writing down some names, uh, the birthday, the name, and the death day of my buddies. Next thing I knew, I had 10 names written on the flag. I was crying a little bit, like, I'm 24 years old, I shouldn't be able to do that with my friends. It's a hard thing to come to terms with, but at the same time, it's been one of the most powerful driving forces for me. All the things I do in the mountains are in the name of them. The tent, they're so lucky to train in this place and already be people that spend a lot of time outdoors. And then they went off to war. And that experience probably created a lot of sentiments in them, similar to the sentiments that my generation of veterans have seeing a lot of crazy things and losing a lot of friends. And when they got back stateside, they wanted to get back to the outdoors because they knew what it could do for them. Word. And over time, a lot of those guys started to bring that to other people because they saw so much value in it. I'm trying to do that too because I see the value in the outdoors. Veterans Outdoor Advocacy Group is a nonprofit that I founded with a fellow former SEAL, Dustin Kissling. We started actually as a single issue organization. There's this bill called the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act. It basically makes it so that veterans can be prescribed time outside instead of prescription medication. And that bill wasn't gaining much traction. And Dustin and I basically sat down and said, we can't look back 10 years from now and say we didn't do every single thing in our power to make sure this bill passes and to help our fellow vets realize the power of the outdoors. Thanks again to the commitment and uh, our dedication of our 10th Mountain Division families and those veterans. Wow. Amazing human beings.
That wraps up this week's edition for our incredible producer, speaking of amazing humans, Michael Arpaio. I'm Staff and Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteransShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100. For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.